I was uh, sitting here during worship this morning just thanking God so much that Kevin had to be the one to come up at the end today because the worst job on the planet is being the person that has to, uh, to close a time of worship like that. Just a joy. I, it was a little bit like the voice this morning because you close your eyes and I hear this giant voice and then you open your eyes and it's mercy and you see this little tiny thing and you go, that doesn't add up. I don't get that. It's sweet. They made me cry during rehearsal this morning. I knew it was going to be a good day. Uh, hey, I, I would also add this, just a home group. Uh, Cindy mentioned it, but Donna and I have, have been praying about it and felt led to do a, a young adults group. It's kind of our heart, something we've always We've done cyclically in the past, and we haven't done one in a while. So we started Thursday night, and we got off to a great start. It was just a wonderful evening, great time of worship and ministry with one another and just sharing our hearts. So anybody that is in that kind of age category, I would uh, just really encourage you to make it over Thursday nights at John and Holly's house here in Tigard. Uh, really, really good time, and uh, we, we'd love to have you there with us. And woo-woo. All right. So uh, we're continuing today, we're doing a little series called Gifted, talking about some of the gifts of the Spirit that are not listed in 1 Corinthians and that are maybe less talked about than some of the others. Last week we talked about Barnabas, the son of encouragement, and just what a profound impact. Uh, You know, just an encouraging word to somebody is a little thing. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort to do that, but what what a profound impact that can have on somebody's life. And uh, so this morning, we're going to continue. I want to look at another one of the gifts listed in Romans 12. I'm just going to review that text with you really quickly. Paul says here, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, (coughs) and each member belongs to all the others. So Paul is making a comparison uh, that he makes often in Scripture between the human body and the body of Christ. And so you understand your human body. There are different components, different systems in your body, and they all work to the same purpose. You, you function as a person, and you don't often think about how those different systems are working unless they go wrong, right? If something is out of order, two things happen. One, you notice it right away, and two... It affects the other parts. The other parts don't work as well when one part is is off. And so Paul here is comparing that to the body of Christ. And he's saying, in the body of Christ, I mean, I, this is like I just, as soon as I start talking, it's my thorn in the flesh. <coughs> okay. Uh, uh, in the body of Christ, we function the same way as well. And then he continues... If you're, um, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, serve. If it is teaching, teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. <coughs> so this morning, what I'd like to do is to talk about the gift of giving or generosity. Um, As is the case with all of the gifts listed there with the exception of prophecy. Prophecy is also listed in 1 Corinthians and tends to be one of those more supernaturally oriented gifts. It's kind of like you either have it or you don't, right? Uh, Oh, you are just a joy. 
<laughs> Little angels. <coughs> um, so the, uh, this gift is like all the others except prophecy, like encouragement and hospitality in that there, it, it really has two components to it. One is <coughs> that it can be a, a natural characteristic and quality of, of life that we're all encouraged to do. And we're all encouraged to be generous throughout Scripture. But it can also be supernaturally infused by God to really cause someone to excel in that particular area of life. When Donna and I were young, and we were attending the Anaheim Vineyard in the very, very early days of that church, there was a gentleman there named Clyde Harvey. And Clyde Harvey was a dairy farmer. How do you like a dairy farmer named Clyde Harvey? That is just, that's legit right there. Clyde was an uh, uh, older gentleman, slightly older, not really older, probably mid-60s at the time. And he would uh, he came to church very often dressed in uh, bib overalls with a flannel or denim shirt underneath and boots. And that's it, it was clean. It wasn't like he didn't come straight out the farm, but that's his clothes. That's what he wore. Clyde drove a uh, Ford F-150 pickup truck to the church and everywhere. That was his vehicle. Not a brand new truck, a couple years old. Um, <coughs> Clyde was a... Uh, just like the nicest, most gentle, kind man. He was the guy that, you know, you want, he, everybody wants him to be their grandpa, right? Just this nice old guy. Just a wonderful, not a leader. He never led a group or taught or did anything in the life of the church. He was just there and was one of those guys that you want to talk to and say hi to. Just kind of, it, just, it just felt good being around him, but, but not, didn't have a lot of influence. What most people didn't know and what I didn't know until many years later <coughs> is that Clyde was a multi-multi-millionaire and that he gave astronomical amounts of money to the church. Uh, I found out when I came on staff and somebody kind of let the cat out of the bag, you know, yeah, Clyde, Har- Clyde Harvey is the biggest giver in the church. And I'm like, Clyde Harvey, the farmer? Um, Clyde gave no strings attached. He didn't expect anything in return for his giving. Uh, And he never obviously bragged about it or made a big big deal about it because, quite honestly, frankly, I don't think anybody except, you know, maybe the pastoral staff and the accounting department even knew that Clyde had money or gave money. But he would give astronomical amounts of money. It is weekly tithes and offerings, but also whenever there was anything like a youth fundraiser for a missions trip or a benevolence outreach or something else, Clyde would throw in some more money. And he just did it cheerfully and joyfully because (coughs) it was his gift. (coughs) And that's what he did. Uh, So that said, there is a gift of giving that God will impart to some people. And if you have that gift, God bless you. I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, but all of us, all of us <coughs> are encouraged in Scripture to give and give generously, <coughs> whether we have that gift or not. It is, in fact, a characteristic and a quality of Christian life. Um, and we all, as followers of Jesus, are really encouraged to, to be like Jesus. And Jesus gave generously, and as followers of Him, we are also encouraged to give as well. This requires some perspective. So what I'm going to do is two weeks we're going to talk about this gift. 
Next week, I want to give you some really practical applications, some ways that you can exercise generosity in your own life. Today, what I want to do is just a little kind of a theological framework for that. Uh, So we're going to start with this this morning. Typically, I start with a, uh, a scripture, but I'm going to start today instead with a quote from John Wimber. John said, if you want to know where someone's heart is, just look at their checkbook. So let's pray and we'll, uh, we'll get going. Father, thanks for your word today. I pray you would open our hearts to receive from you, that you would enrich your word and you would help me to talk without coughing. Amen. Uh, John, of course, said that back in the day when people actually carry a checkbook, all right? So <coughs> there we go. So much of my prayers. <coughs> people um, don't carry checkbooks as often anymore, but back in the 70s and 80s, you know, there was no, uh, no ATMs, no PayPal, no Venmo, no debit cards. You wrote checks, and people would have a checkbook. And John's point was simply that where you spend your money is really where your heart is. You give to, you spend on what you value. Your, your money follows your heart. It's really true. He was correct. Um, Americans, and when I say Americans, I'm going to qualify. I mean those of us who live here in the United States. We tend to arrogantly call ourselves Americans. My Latin American friends remind me quite often when I say that, that we're all Americans, um, and they are correct. So those of us that live here in the United States of America, uh, we, we live at three times <coughs> the global average of, of income and status. Oh, look, I get water, I get coffee. If I keep coughing, somebody will, I don't know, give me money maybe. You guys are all awesome. Um, we live at three times the global average of standard of living. And so what that means is if you took all the people in the world and averaged out how much money they have, that those of us that live in this country would have three times more than the rest of them. Um, with that in mind... <coughs> We also tend to give very little. In terms of charitable contributions, so that would include both what you give at your church, if you give at church, as well as anything you give to any charity. If you give to throughout the year to March of Dimes or the Cancer Society or, I don't know, the Girl Scouts, whatever. <coughs> Somebody tell me what you think the average American gives in charitable contributions percentage of their income every year. Mike says 2%, 5%. Anybody else? One and a half? What? There's no prize. Yeah, the prize is no. No, Mike is pretty close. 2.8% is what the average American gives. Different studies will say anywhere actually from 1.2 to 3.4. It varies a little, but that's kind of in the middle. 2.8%. Relatively small amount for people that live at three times the global standard of income. I think there's a couple things behind that. One is this, and I think this is really the minority of people. I don't think there's a lot of people in this category. There's just a few. But that is they're just selfish. They don't care about anybody but themselves. It's my money, and I'm going to spend it how I want, and that's that. And I think there's probably a handful of people out there that are just selfish people that don't care about anybody but themselves, and they keep what they got. By and large, though, I don't think that's true of most people. I think most people are not that selfish, 
But what hinders them from giving is fear. It's fear that if I, I, don't, I, I already don't know if I have enough, and if I give, I'll have less, and then at the end of the month, I got bills to pay, and the electric guy, and the gas guy, and the grocery guy, and the car guy, they don't care, and so it's not going to add up. And so I'm afraid that if I let go of anything, that I won't have enough. And so I really think, by and large, most of us are not motivated uh, by selfishness to keep or greed to keep our money, but we're just simply motivated by fear that we won't have enough at the end of the month. I want to challenge that thinking a little bit this morning. As is often the case, uh, a kingdom mentality, a kingdom mindset, tends to run counter to a natural mindset. Whatever the natural mind thinks, a kingdom mindset will be the exact opposite of that. And so, with that in mind, I want to look at a few passages of Scripture. We'll try to do this as quick as we can. But just to begin with, we're going to go to our old friend James. What better place to go for a little conviction than the book of James, right? Everybody loves James. If you, if you feel good about yourself, just sit down and read James someday and you won't. Well, I'm just kidding, but not really. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good gift comes from God, including our money. I know. You worked for it. You earned it. You got up every day. You punched the clock. You went to work. You did your job. You put up with the cranky boss. You put up with that weird guy down the hallway. You listened to all the stupid complaints of the stupid customers. And you got your check and you went home and it's yours and it's your money and you made it. And God provided everything for you. And if you are a follower of Christ, you have got to acknowledge that. There is no alternative. There's no alternative except if we are going to be kingdom people, if we're going to walk in the kingdom of God, if we're going to understand and know the presence of God in our lives, We've got to come to terms with the reality that everything I have comes from Him, that it's all from Him. The air I breathe, the money I make, my family, my health, my car, my house, my food, the food on my table, everything comes from Him. It's all from Him. Without Him, I am nothing, I have nothing, and that's all there is. And we've got to resolve that first if we're really going to walk in the kingdom of God in any sort of presence or power of God in our lives. It's, we've just got to come to terms with that. It's not mine to begin with. It's from Him, and it's on loan from Him. And so all I'm really doing is giving back to Him some of what He's already given to me. How do we get from point A to point B? How do we get from fear of holding on and letting go <coughs> to a place where I trust God? And I just trust and believe in him. <coughs> There's a pretty simple formula in the book of Matthew. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air... They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? 
So do not worry, <coughs> saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Pretty simple formula, uh, and by simple I mean and not very complex, uh, not necessarily easy to follow, but the truth is that we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting then that God will provide everything else for us. Um, I find it interesting that Jesus here talks about serving two masters and mentions money as the competing master. He has a very uh, acute insight into the human heart, and he understands what motivates us. Um, anybody here ever uh, worry about money? Yeah, you, of course you do. You all, we all do, right? That's what we do. Why do we do that? Because that's who we are. Um, as we grow in our faith and in our ability to not only love Jesus but trust Jesus, we become less anxious about <coughs> making everything come together at the end of the month and our ability to then not feel like we have to chase after things and hold on to things to keep them close at heart, but just trust God to provide for our needs. I've used this example before, but it bears repeating because it's so real to me. My friends in Nicaragua are, uh, they they live in in a, they don't live at three times the global standard of standard of living. They live way below that. They're the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Only Haiti has a higher degree of poverty than Nicaragua. And yet, what I found is when I'm there, there's a sense of trust in God and belief in God and faith that is so far beyond anything that we really know or, or, or have on, on, a, on a regular basis. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why that is. Because there's, no, there's, there's, there's nowhere else to go. We have this thing in us. <coughs> and we're taught it, and, we, and, it, and, and it, we're not even taught it explicitly, but it's implicitly kind of spoken all through our culture. And that is that we can make it happen. I can make this work. If, if, if this job doesn't work, I'll get another job. I'm going to say, I'll work harder. I can work longer. I can do overtime. If this falls through, I got, I'll go back here. My friend Eugenio said to me a year or so ago, I forget what we were talking about, but his statement to me was, we have no plan B. We have no plan B. If God doesn't provide, then it doesn't happen because that's all there is. They, they trust God because they have to. There's no fallback. There's nowhere to go. They don't have that mentality that we have built into us that I can make this happen. And so their, their trust of God is at a level that we don't know. And guess what happens? Well, he provides. He provides. I was there uh, in January in the uh, inaugural service of their new building. I was a little bit jealous, to be honest, if I can be honest, because we're here and we're not in our own building. And here I was in these guys' building, and they have no money. I'm like, they got a building. Where do they get this building? I don't even know where they got it. I kind of do, but God provided it for them. Let me say this, just qualification. 
This doesn't mean seeking first. Let let me ask a question. Do we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Just answer that question first. Do you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness? And then follow-up question is, does your budget reflect that? If you look at your checkbook, your ledger, does it reflect that? Now, what, that, that doesn't mean that you have to take a vow of poverty. It doesn't mean you can never have anything or buy anything again. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you can never order another grande half-calf mocha mint frappuccino with whip or whatever. When did ordering coffee become so complex? Back in the day... You go in, you sit down, what do you, what, what's the options? Do you want regular or decaf? I'll have regular, please. Okay, well, cream and sugar or black, that's it, end of conversation. Now you have to have a degree to order a cup of coffee. It's, it's chaos, I don't understand, although I participate. so um, I'm going to look at one more text today real quick, and we'll wrap up on this. This is Paul in 2 Corinthians And he says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. This is interesting. Listen to this. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. How often do you think of (coughs) overwhelming joy and extreme poverty in the same sentence? Probably never, okay? Those two things don't add up in in our vernacular. But that's what happened. Their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I testify, they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing this service to the Lord's people. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord... Amen. And then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier, made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So the situation is this. (coughs) Paul is taking an offering. An offering is being taken at the Corinthian church that's going to be sent with Titus to give to Paul to support his ministry. He refers back to a previous offering that was taken by the Macedonian churches in which he talks about how they gave above and beyond their ability. He mentions the grace of giving. And I would say this, they are to excel in love and faith and these other things, and excel in giving. And the grace of giving is a characteristic of Christian faith that we are to excel in. It's a part of what it means to be a follower of Christ, is to be able to give. Giving is a part of what it means to be a kingdom person. And we've got to settle that in our hearts if we really want to grow in Christ. He continues in chapter 9, and he says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written, 
And then he quotes the Psalms. They freely scatter their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And then he continues, Now he who supplied seed to the sower, bread for food, and also will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He, again, he equates righteousness with giving. I just think it's worth our time to meditate on this passage a little bit. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And then he concludes, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God. So others will see what you've done, and they'll praise God for what's happening through you, for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. The principle of sowing and reaping is well documented throughout Scripture. Um, it's also essential to understand, if, we, if we're going to really have a kingdom perspective on our finances, we've got to understand how this works in the kingdom of God, not how we think it works in our own minds. Uh, next week, I'm going to do some really practical kind of application of this, but I want to give you just a summary of sowing and reaping right now really quickly in about two minutes. And this is, comes from, I taught a class last year on kingdom stewardship, and uh, it, I, maybe I'll re- try to repeat that class this year if you weren't able to come, but I also have the notes from that. I'd be happy to share with you if anybody would like them. Uh, but this is kind of the summary of this from that. First is attitude is everything. Begins with a, ch- a change of your heart. And if you, you have to acknowledge in your own heart where you're at, if you have fear or, or, or you're concerned about giving or you don't have a, a cheerful spirit towards it, just begin to pray and ask God to change your heart because God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want us to give under compulsion or out of obligation. Uh, I think it, 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 it might, you might as well not do it. It discredits the gift in a very real way. Uh, now, that's not to say that sometimes obedience doesn't come before. You have to just be obedient and trust God. But I'm just saying in the process, also pray for God to change your heart. Uh, Second thing, sowing is more than simply believing. It's acting. It's not just saying, oh yeah, I believe that's true. You can all sit there and go, yeah, I believe that's true. But until you uh, put your money where your heart is, so to speak, it doesn't really uh, add up. Third thing is, giving is a grace given by God that will often go beyond our natural limitations. The Macedonian churches gave more than they were able and sometimes, here's the thing, God will, will speak to you and encourage you to give. So you're going, okay, God says, you know, give that guy in the corner four bucks. And you're going, I have exactly four bucks left. If I give him four bucks, let's see, I can do the math. That means I have nothing. And God goes, I want you to trust me and give the guy the four bucks and know that I will pay you back, even though you may not feel in your heart as though that's within your limitations. God might stretch you there uh, just allow him to do that. Uh, the focus on sowing is always to bless others. When we reap, we have more resources to be even more generous. Another thing John used to say is, we give to get, to give, to get, to give, to get, to give, right? There's this cyclical thing. When you give, God blesses you, and then you have more, and then you can give more. But the focus was always on the giving, never on the receiving. And that's where, if I can just be a little bit, you know, uh, I, I, I tend to struggle with some of the prosperity teachings we hear today because very often in those, the focus is on getting. 
And I believe God's heart, the focus is on giving. He wants to bless you so that you can give, not so that you can buy more stuff. Sometimes the reaping of what we have sown will be eternal reward in heaven, not financial reward in this life. That's just a reality that we have to acknowledge. And there are several verses there that would indicate that is true. Um, And then finally, sowing and reaping is a principle, not a promise. What I mean by that is simply this, that there are principles in Scripture that are stated that means this, that generally speaking, this is the pattern that will be followed. This is what God will do if you do this. This is how it works. It's not an ironclad promise that if you give, God will give you tenfold back. I would challenge, again, some of the prosperity teaching that indicates that. I, I do not think that's a biblical perspective. I believe sowing and reaping is a principle that God honors and that if we give with joyfulness in our heart, we give cheerfully that God will bless that back to us so that we have more resource to give again. But I, I do not believe that if you give this much to this ministry today that God will give you tenfold back you know, tomorrow. I just think that's a bunch of um, something else. So uh, n- next week, we'll, we'll do some, some practical application. But I, I want to I give you a little challenge today. You good? Okay, here's the deal. It's the season of Lent right now. We don't follow the liturgical calendar real closely here. Uh, maybe we should. I don't know. We don't. But most of you know Lent is a time of year when we prepare our hearts for Easter, and typically you give something up for Lent. Familiar with that? Uh, so Lent's 40 days. We're already in it, but I'm going I'm to give you a little challenge one week. This week, whether you, Monday, Friday, Saturday, seven days, I don't care how you just you determine what the week is for you. I want you to give up something that you would normally do and take the money you would have spent on that and give it away. So, for example, if you go to Starbucks four times a week on the average and you spend $3 for each cup of coffee you buy at Starbucks, that's $12 over the week. Don't go to Starbucks this week. Drink Folgers at home and give 12 bucks away. Okay? Give something up this week. Pizza night, date night. If you're going to go out on a date and you're going to spend 20 bucks for the movies and 30 bucks for dinner, that's 50 bucks. Don't do it. Stay home, you know, Netflix and chill. Maybe it'll be worth it. And give the 50 bucks away. Okay. Uh, I'm just saying... You never know. Whatever, give something up and give the money away and just see what God does, okay? So this week, whatever, you make the decision, big or small, it's up to you, but give something away that you would normally do, sacrifice, and and give that money away and, and let God do what he does. Okay.